Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis and when I'm not passionately podcasting, I'm playing my French horn somewhere around the world. It's always a delight to podcast with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today has just released her very first album for Deutsche Grammophon at the age of 20. She's recorded a piece she says has accompanied her in all the important moments of her life. And she has not only written her own cadenza for it, she's recorded everyone else's too. I can't wait to find out more. So let's start. Dear Maria Duenas, welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. It's great to meet you, finally. (laughs) Thank you so much. So nice to meet you. The artists that I've I've had on the podcast have so many years of Deutsche Grammophon experience and, uh, and that's why they get a podcast. You get a podcast age 20. I, I find that very impressive. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. That's my, it, it will be a first collaboration with, with Deutsche Grammophon, my first album. So it's very special. Yeah. <laughs> and the exciting thing is we're, we're talking via Zoom. You're in Vienna, right? Yes. And I have your album in my hand. The, I have the CD in my hand and you <laughs> hadn't seen it yet, had you? <laughs> yeah, that's very unfair. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, <laughs> there are such beautiful photos of you in it. You know, I, I, I'm so... It, these days it's tough because you don't only have to record the music. You have to do a huge photo shoot with hair and makeup and dresses. And, but that's also part of the fun, isn't it? Yes, for sure. I think it's part of of telling the story behind the album. And it's, yeah, it's a very exciting process of searching and finding. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, for sure. I sometimes find that doing the hair and the makeup and the dresses is more stressful than recording the music. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm always very... I like to be, um, let's say, surprised about the result, for sure. (laughs) So what do you think about the cover picture? Do do you look at it and think, uh, oh, that's me? Or do you, uh, I mean, you're gorgeous. I'm looking at you right now. But this is obviously, you know, this is a proper artist photo. How do you feel when you see that and you see this, this yellow logo, this iconic logo above your head? Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I get the goosebumps. It's such a dream, of course, to be. I mean, I listen to so many recordings from Deutsche Grammophon and to actually be part of their team is, of course, so special. And yeah, I love the the cover picture. I think it um, it illustrates very well the Beethoven Beyond title. So yeah, I think it's a very, very round project and concept. Yeah. Which of the violins you I've read you have you play on two violins? Which violin is this? I'm a horn player, sorry, I don't know if you can recognize <laughs> it by looking at it, but I can't. <laughs> so that's the Stradivarius, which I have from the Nippon Music Foundation. Um so that's actually my first photo with that violin. So it was my first photo shoot. So very also very important to me and very very nice to have this violin for, for that. <laughs> 
Goodness, so many firsts. Your first album, yeah. your first Stradivari <laughs> recording, your first photo. Wow. That's right. Your first podcast with me. Maybe we do many more in your life. <laughs> Hopefully, for sure. <laughs> but so tell me about Beethoven, because you've said that Beethoven has accompanied you in all the important moments of your life. And I know, I mean, we, we don't remember the pandemic anymore because it's like two years of our life that we've erased. But you played the Beethoven as the last piece before the pandemic and the first piece after the pandemic. So those are important bookends in your life. But what what does this statement mean? What what are these important moments that this amazing concerto have accompanied you on? So yeah, it's very interesting because actually um, the first time I came in contact with the Beethoven Violin Concerto, I was very, very young. I was about um, 11 years old. Uh, and it was just for fun because I think the, the repertoire that you learn when you are young is the one that stay in your fingers and in your mind. So I kind of approached the concerto when I was very young, just, yeah, just for fun and just to have a basis for it. Um, but it wasn't until later. How young? I was around 11. Wow. So yeah, that's the first time I I, I took this score. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it wasn't until later when I played for Maestro Janowski as I was living in Germany. And he told me, yeah, when you're 18, I want to play the Beethoven concerto with you. So that's how that concerto became a goal. And yeah, something I worked toward too. Um, and yeah, as you said, it was uh, actually, I started, of course, learning it much younger. And, and I just wanted to have it very good prepared by the time I was 18. So I played it. Um, yeah, it was my, my last concert before the pandemic. And then also after the, the break, I played it in Granada in my hometown. So it was very special to be able to play again for an audience after, yeah, after the long break. And yes, to play Beethoven was very, very special, yeah. Why did Maestro Janowski think when you turned 18 you could play it? Is there some laws like drinking that violinists can't perform Beethoven concertos? <laughs> but except Anne-Sophie Mutter, she, I, when she told me that when she played for Carrion, uh, she was 13, and he told her to go away and come back in a year, or maybe 14. Um, mm-hmm. He said, go away, come back next year. And she came back and played it again, you know, it's sort of. So why do you think he wanted you to wait till 18? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess, of course, um, when I see uh, everything that happened from 11 until 18, of course, my life changed uh, completely. So, of course, I can see an evolution in my in my playing and my personality. So, yeah, I think that was the right decision. Of course, it couldn't happen when I was 18 because of COVID. Uh, so it actually happened uh, when I was 19, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, of course, I can see this. Uh, oh, you, oh, you old thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's already your responsibility when you turn 19. But um, yeah, I don't know. Of course, I can see this um, just my playing and evolving throughout the year. So I think that was very wise to to wait until I was kind of more mature to play Beethoven, which I think is something that should be like that. I noticed the tempos are actually quite slow and and very mature. You know, I I find when I listen to things I've recorded when I was younger, I'm like, God, that's way too fast. I have to do that again. (laughs) I mean, horn players don't record many things because we don't have that many pieces. But uh, I've noticed that the the younger me preferred the faster versions. Um, But Maestro Honig took quite slow tempos with you. Was that him or was that you? 
Well, I think that was, uh, of course, when you have a recording, there is a whole process behind it. I think it's very interesting to kind of develop um, kind of uh, an idea together for, for the piece. Uh, but yeah, of course, uh, for me, the challenge of playing Beethoven is, is um, giving each note a meaning. So that was also the idea behind the tempo and behind everything. I really wanted to every note to be very important. So yeah, that was kind of my, my goal behind it, as you can't rely on, on virtuosity or on other kind of technical um, abilities, let's say. That's, that's really interesting. You know, I noticed listening to your recording, which is absolutely beautiful. You know, if I hadn't have known it was you, I would never have guessed it was somebody <laughs> who's 20. Um, but uh, you you do, you pull it around, but you pull it around in the rhythm. That's a big, that's something you can't learn. You know, you, you make you make these tiny little, you know, bends in, in phrases, but you're never out of time. And I, I think that must be a conductor's dream because some people use so much rubato. Is that something, you know, is, is, that, is that what you mean about giving giving it each note a meaning, you know, you, do you know what I mean? Um, the phrases, yes. you know, you'll da, 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 you know, the sort of, it's, it's be, being rubato-ish in the rhythm, <laughs> on time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain. Yeah, for me, it's always, always uh, very interesting to kind of keep that uh, flexibility. Of course, you have the tempo and you have uh, the measure and a lot of things you have to, to, to have in mind but also to be kind of alive, kind of to to move with the music. That's for me always very, very important. I think um, that's the thing that, that takes the audience with you on the piece. Yeah, well, it certainly does here. And the cadenzas, oh my goodness, on this album, and also for our listeners who haven't listened to it yet, but of course they all will, there are not only your cadenzas for the Beethoven, you wrote them yourself, but you've recorded everybody else's cadenza as well, which is makes it very unique. You know, I think it's it's important these days to make a product which is different. And it's so hard with Beethoven because every violinist who who's ever lived, every great violinist has probably recorded it. So tell me about that, that idea. Um, why does a, a young person say, I'm going to write my own cadenza? And then how did you get the idea to record everybody else's? So as you said, of course, there are so many recordings and so many different um, interpretations on Beethoven. So for me, of course, also, f- because it's my first album, I wanted to show not just the a traditional side of myself, but also so many different perspectives also many faces of the violin. So I wanted to show uh, as much, let's say, uh, personalities as as possible from myself. So that's why um, I wanted to give this this personal touch to the concerto with my own cadenzas, which I think um, not just in Beethoven's concerto, but in all the concertos that give that possibility. That's something very important because I think it shows your own voice and also the way that you understand the concerto. So I think writing my own cadenza has given me a very deep insight into the piece, into the structure, into how Beethoven composed every theme. There are so many little details that I think just um, by playing the concerto aren't as present than when you write the cadenza. So that was for me very interesting to, to see. And also through the other cadenzas, um, I wanted to show how 
the understanding of the concerto kind of evolves and changes uh, through the years. So I think each composer has a very unique voice on um, kind of uh, showing what Beethoven meant to him. So that was kind of the concept behind it. And also giving, let's say, lesser known works um, a voice and just showing to the audience works that haven't been performed or recorded before. The cadenzas in the Beethoven concerto, is that a thing that um, violinists usually write themselves or do they play other people's cadenzas? Horn players tend to always either steal someone else's or come up with, they, some of them come <laughs> up with crazy things. But uh, <laughs> but what is the usual? I mean, I haven't listened to enough recordings of them to know that. Maybe I should. So on the Beethoven concerto, the cadenza that is played the most is Chrysler's. Um, I think the reason is because it stays very, very true to, to the concerto. So it has a lot of themes that Beethoven used. So I think it is a very, um, very appropriate cadenza for the concerto. But yes, there are some musicians who have written their own. And yeah, I think when the composer gives such a chance, then why not? I mean, if, if he gives the possibility of writing your own cadenza, then I think you should, you should um, take that chance, yeah. Yeah, it's just not so easy. I mean, it's hard to find information on you, you know, Maria. Really? You're not easily Googleable. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> no, that's fine. It makes it more interesting to meet you because most people I feel like I've known already before I get to, to speak to them. But with you, I was like, I know I know about your recordings and I know where you studied, and um, yeah. but I, I don't know a lot more. So that's why it's fascinating. But um, I know you like to do arrangements for, for so that you can play together with your family. Um, and I'm sure that was helpful in, in you know, in, in doing, doing work on your cadenza because I wouldn't even know how to, do you write down on paper or do you write on a computer? So first on paper. So uh, when I have some ideas, I, yeah, I have to write them down. Otherwise I will forget them. But um, yeah, so I actually started uh, with small arrangements because my sisters play the violin and the cello. So it was just for fun for us to play. And also I've written some, um, I've arranged some pieces for violin and piano. But uh, yeah, then I started with the cadenzas first for the Mozart concertos and then for, for Beethoven. So that's how it uh, developed. Yeah. So the cadenzas you've included, they are all by violinists except for Sanson, who I don't think played the violin, did he? No. Okay, so they, they all show and they're all about four minutes. Um, is that like that yours as well? That's like the standard time to play a cadenza. That's a very long cadenza. Yeah, so there are, um, for instance, the Spur cadenza is a bit shorter, I think. So um, I think it's about two minutes. But um, yeah, normally I think like the, I think one is inspired in the cadenzas that have already been written. So I think in, in the case of Chrysler's cadenza is about four minutes, I think. So yeah, I think that's kind of the inspiration for the other ones to come. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I didn't really think about the the the, the length. I just I wanted to kind of integrate as much themes as I could from Beethoven. So yeah, I guess that's the time it needs. <laughs> 
what what would you say makes your cadenza different from all the others apart from that it's by you would did you do you feel you bring it something different into it i mean i i heard familiar things like the double stopping i'm and and the the things that you're used to but also it's 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 quite a unique cadenza but i would like to know in your words um what do you feel that it that it brings do you think in a hundred years people were saying oh i'm playing the duenas cadenza today <laughs> oh i would love to <laughs> so i don't know for me the the most important thing always is uh to stay very true to the essence of beethoven so to as i said to integrate as much themes as possible and yeah just with i would say minor variations because i think um when Listening to a cadenza, you should be able to recognize the concerto that the cadenza is written for. So that was for me always the main thing, just to to take out the the themes by Beethoven and just to, um, of course, add a, a bit of myself and of, as I said, of the way I feel the concerto and also just to play a bit with with modulations with the um, with the key. So basically, for me, the most um, crucial part is to stay very true to Beethoven and to his style and what, what he wanted to achieve, I would say, with, with the concerto. I, I've spoken to some people who have worked with you because, as I said, you know, you're not easy to Google because you're right at the beginning of your career. And so I always go behind the scenes and I see who you've taken pictures with on on, on Instagram. And then, then I go and say, OK, I, I, can you tell me about working with Maria? That's the best way to find out. But don't worry, it's it's all good news. <laughs> oh, but, um, thanks, God. But a friend of mine, Gustavo Gimeno, who you went on, on tour with, he said, when you get on stage, you're absolutely fearless. He said, you are such a communicator <laughs> with your violin. And I think anyone that's seen that's seen videos of you uh, will say the same. You are a real communicator. But are you fearless? Or is that something you've had to work on? I would say I've, uh, I've developed through the years. So um, I think at the beginning, I was a bit shy as a person. And as I was a child, I was certainly very shy. Uh, but I would say um, there are so so many things I've lived through in my life, and so many new experiences, and I've I've um, yeah I've just uh, lived through so many different cultures as well. Um, so I would say that that uh, makes you grow, grow. So I would say now I am yeah pretty much fearless. <laughs> so of course when it comes to music, I think. Um, on stage, you have to be very, very sure about yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And as as Gustavo said, I think when I go on stage, I'm also very open to kind of improvising, to to adding new things to the piece, not just to to playing it as I would play it, but also to yeah to have some courage to maybe make things kind of improvised. So I think that that. Um, makes the music alive that keeps it moving. Yes, he said he was very impressed with how you, if something happened in the orchestra, something went wrong, he said you would adapt very quickly and, and he really appreciated that. But he also said, which I thought was very interesting, he said on tour, you're like two people, you're this stage animal. And then when you finish your concerto, you go into your room and do your homework for the university. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sometimes I feel they have two lives because, yeah, as you said, I'm, I'm still at university here in Vienna. Um, so yeah, I have to 
um, kind of combine the, the life as a student with the uh, traveling and with the playing concerts. So sometimes I feel they have two lives, with, which for me is very, very interesting. I'm a very curious person, so I like uh, so many different um, aspects of life and kind of having, uh, yeah, kind of different worlds <laughs> in one intertwined. How do you manage it all? Because, you know, that's a lot of work being at the university and you have to go to classes, you have to do all this homework. Um, do you do some of it online or, or how do you manage when you're, it's it's not going to get any less, you know, it's going to get more. <laughs> yeah. So, um, of course, when I'm here in Vienna, then I have to go to lessons. I kind of have to catch up on all the work I couldn't do when I was traveling. Uh, but for me, my education was always very important. So I I think you don't have to just play the violin. Uh, for me, it was important to kind of have also perspective on other, on other, let's say, kind of branches or of music. And yeah, to have just to be very open to other fields. And of course, I have chamber music and I have very uh, different uh, subjects. So I think that's, that's very important as an artist to be open to new, um, new, musical. I know exactly what you're saying. You, you have to experience lots of different things yeah. to make yourself this artist that you present yourself with. No, I, I, I totally get it. It's right. just that <laughs> to find the time to do that all and know you have the pressure of the, the you're doing a bachelor, right, of getting that, that, that done. Um, but you're a violinist, not a horn player. We only practice a few hours a day because our lips uh, get tired. But you violinists practice hours and hours and hours a day. Where do you put your priorities, I guess, in the practice? Yeah, of course. So practicing, of course, is my first priority. But um, I would say when, when I have, let's say, less to do, then I get very bored. So I kind of need a lot of, of things to do, not just with the violin, but also with university. And so, yeah, that kind of uh, gives me a lot of energy. I'm a very active person. So I love having so many different things to do and uh, also on so many different levels, like, of course, there is violin, but then I also have to read about, um, let's say, composers and uh, subjects I have at university. So, yeah, I think it's uh, just a matter of being organized. For now, it works. Hopefully it will work also <laughs> in the future, let's say. <laughs> So when when I'm researching someone that I don't know, um, you know, you I go to their, inst their social media pages. That's normal, you know. These days, before it used <laughs> to be, you know, Wikipedia and websites. Now, now we look at our uh, at our social media, and for me, I see very beautiful photos and videos of you playing. I mean, amazing stuff. But I never see you doing a selfie or eating a croissant or 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 anything else you like to do. So. You, you practice a lot and you read about the composers, you do a lot. But what else do you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, of course, my, my social um, pages are all about music, which I think is um, probably why people are interested in me. But, um, of course, I have other hobbies. I like uh, sports, uh, swimming. I love swimming and I love reading as well. And something I discovered also when, when I moved to Vienna was the fact that I love dancing. So I went to a couple of balls here in Vienna and yeah, then I discovered uh, my passion for, for dance. So I loved, I took some lessons on, on Viennese, like traditional dances, and that's something I also like to do. So that's a new hobby of mine. <laughs> 
That's amazing, you know, because I I was always fascinated by the Vienna Waltz. And I, I did a mm-hmm. TV program about it. Um, and I met this guy and I, I, it was so long, I can't remember his name now, but the master of the, of the Viennese waltz. And he, he prepares all the debutantes for the ball. Um, yeah. I have to remember his name. But I went for an hour's lesson with him. And it was like such an honor. And I tell you, I felt so ill afterwards because Viennese waltz goes round so fast <laughs> yeah. that you get motion sickness. <laughs> That's right. And I think that's also important when you're on stage to have kind of this, uh, to have experienced that. I think <laughs> that helps then with, with performing for sure. <laughs> that's a good point. This sort of being dizzy and then how to stop it very quickly. Sometimes on stage when I'm nervous, I get that. Yeah, that's a very good point. So everyone, <laughs> that, that could be a new way of training stage fright is get people to learn the Vienna Waltz. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So what other types of, of dancing uh, do you uh, do you do? Is that is that is it because when when I think of Viennese dancing, I, I think of the waltz and the polka. What what else is there? Yeah, I've learned foxtrot. I've learned tango a little bit. I've learned cha-cha-cha, boogie. So kind of I have a very good basis. I mean, of course, I'm not professional, but just uh, for fun, I have a very good basis on pretty much all <laughs> dances. This is fantastic. I'm I'm a I'm a passionate salsa dancer, so that that's my favorite. But salsa is oh. not so difficult if you have a good partner. Then any then anything goes. But I just love it. Okay, salsa I haven't tried yet. I should. <laughs> okay, that's your homework. Until the next podcast, I want you to try out salsa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, is there anything else? It's just been just a little chat. Maybe to finish off with, I'd like to ask you where you see yourself going in maybe five years time, 10 years time. Are you already planning new projects for the Deutsche Grammophon? They probably don't know about them yet, but let's tell them on the podcast. <laughs> what would you like to do with with your violin? What would you like to do? So if the next, this, this album was called Beethoven and Beyond, what would you say that would be Maria and Beyond? What is beyond for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, so there are so many things I would like to work on. Of course, I'm still very young and there is endless repertoire for the violin. Uh, but uh, for sure, something that I that it's very important to me is um, discovering new repertoire. And as I already did in my first album to uh, make works uh, known that maybe aren't not as played. So that's certainly one of my goals. But um, as I said, I mean, there are so many interesting pieces and, yeah, there's so much to offer. But, um, yeah, I would just like to see myself as I am now. So on stage, just sharing my passion with the audience. And, yeah, just hopefully people get to enjoy my music and what I do. I'm sure they will. But as you know, these days, as it's not enough just to say, I'm going to record this concerto, I'm going to do this concert. People expect this whole product. And what you've done with this album is you've surprised them by giving them all the cadenzas of the Beethoven concerto (laughs) and then some beautiful little like encore pieces composed by the people who've written written the cadenza. So it's a very round product. So how do you think you can dream up more products like this? Because it's not just about the one piece of music anymore, is it? 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, in the first album you can see a very uh, big combination. There are like very traditional works as the Beethoven Concerto, but also works that have never been played before, like the piece by Isai, for instance. So yeah, that's kind of what I want to to present to the audience, uh, because for instance, this piece by Isai is such a jewel. Of, of music that I think should be played more often. I think that's also very important um, when we look at younger generations that they um, kind of have a very a bigger insight into into the classical music and the, the endless repertoire that the violin has to offer, not just the, the repertoire that has been played a lot of times. I'm glad you said his name because I was avoiding saying his name because I've never seen an umlaut on a Y before. <laughs> so Issei. Issei. <laughs> Maria, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and and be on the Deutsche Grammophon podcast. It's your very first time. I wish you all the best with this first album. And I am absolutely sure that one day, probably very soon, I'm going to be sitting behind you in the orchestra, being terrified to play that very quiet horn passage in the slow movement of the Beethoven Concerto. You know exactly the one I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I hope so, with pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Always be nice to the horns at that point because it's really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Muchas gracias. And it's been great to see you. Gracias. And good luck with everything. Thank you so much. <laughs> Such a pleasure. If you enjoyed the podcast with Maria and would like to hear more of our podcasts or catch up on past episodes, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis. It was great to podcast with you today and see you next time. Music